Hello, welcome to a podcast for The Lancet. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Margaret Crook, Associate Professor of Global Health at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health, to discuss her new paper on mortality caused by low-quality health systems. Dr. Crook, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. So let's kick off then by a little bit of a philosophical question. What, what defines good quality health care? That is a great question, actually, and it's a question that we tackled in an accompanying commission that accompanies this paper, uh, the Lancet Global Health Commission on High-Quality Health Systems, uh, where we undertook to examine just that. What do we mean by good quality health care? And there we took the perspective that good quality care takes more than a doctor or a nurse. It really does take an entire system. And so instead of defining care, we defined high-quality health systems, and we define those systems as systems that consistently deliver care that can improve or maintain people's health, that are valued and trusted by people, and third, that respond to changing population needs. We think that particularly the element about value and and trust and the responsiveness are relatively new in terms of health system definition. And I think just one more thing to add probably is that we strongly believe that health systems are social institutions and they're also very much an expression of social values. And so we feel that high-quality health systems need to be for people. They need to be resilient and efficient and have equity at their core. Um, So it's not just a technical definition. It really is, as you said, a philosophical one. What are some of the ways in which populations can be affected by by the opposite, by low-quality health care? As, as I'm sure you and, and the listeners would know, healthcare is not just produced by, I'm sorry, health is not just produced by healthcare. Uh, to be healthy, there are many determinants, including, of course, the social determinants of health, nutrition, um, income, education, and so on. But the truth is that everyone does get sick at a point in time. And what we found in, in the Lancet paper is that uh, when you have low quality healthcare, uh, first and foremost, lives are lost when people get care in poor quality systems. So in this paper, we found that uh, 8.6 million excess deaths happen from treatable conditions in low and middle income countries, which are about 137 countries in the world. And of these 8.6 million deaths that wouldn't have happened had people had uh, care that happens in good systems, nearly uh, around 5 million or 60% um, happen when people get into the system already and the remaining proportion is among people who who can't get to healthcare, so it's an access problem. You know, as we think about the effects of these low-quality health systems, um, we think this is a fundamental abrogation of the duty of health systems, which is to rescue, to to save people. And um, you know, and I think beyond, of course, these deaths uh, among people who already reach out to the health system are people who don't get better. Uh, so people who with persisting symptoms, maybe people who lose function, miss work, school. And then another element that we identified in the commission is that uh, persistent poor quality leads to a loss of trust in the population. Um, And we think this is pretty critical because health systems are a manifestation of of government commitment and also that when health systems lose a population's trust, it's probably tough to regain it when a crisis hits and and you need people to get immunized, right, or to come to clinic. So what are some of the ways in which access to healthcare can be improved? Of course, that's a very important dimension as well. And I was interested in the part in your paper when you talked about uh, improved access, not necessarily equaling better outcomes. So could you maybe mention something about that as well? Sure. So I think globally, we've learned a lot in the past uh, 20 years about how to improve access to to services. You know, at the beginning of the century, there were many people who were left out of healthcare altogether. 
And that's not a, a solved problem. As I noted earlier, you know, there's still um, millions of lives lost because people can't get to clinic. But overall, the progress has been amazing. We have, uh, you know, uh, driven up facility delivery rates, immunization rates are way up in the 80s and higher in many countries, and more people than ever are getting, you know, treatment for HIV, for example. And we've done this as a global community, and really most of the kudos go to low- and middle-income countries who have invested hugely in expanding their own um, services, expanding clinics, improving roads and transport. People can suddenly, you know, get from their home relatively more easily to clinic. Education makes a huge difference uh, in terms of getting the awareness for the need for, for care. Um, and in some cases, we provided incentives, you know, cash vouchers or subsidies and insurance and other approaches. And so we have seen this um, bear results in, in terms of fewer child deaths, malaria deaths, and HIV deaths. But And this is a big but, uh, and an issue we raise in this paper, is that um, that access-first strategy is likely to be at a point where we're going to see diminishing returns going forward. And that's because the remaining mortality that's plaguing many countries around the world is the toughest to treat conditions, right? It's the difficult, uh, complicated pneumonias and uh, the, the severe malarias and so on. These, these kinds of conditions and new chronic problems that are besetting these countries will require much more complex care than a standardized treatment pack, right, or a single vaccine. So just getting people to that clinic isn't going to be job done. You will now need um, to have competent doctors and nurses to pick up when a child's not getting better from pneumonia, the surgeon who will, you know, need really excellent skills to deal with, with trauma and systems have to figure out how to keep people in care who have chronic conditions and need lifelong, you know, treatment. Those are brand new competencies that health systems are not built for in, in so many countries. So I guess in, 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 in some it's difficult to imagine achieving some of these global health goals that all countries have agreed to uh, with the kind of health system performance that we documented in our study. Right. Yes, I guess if uh, you know, access is good, but if you're not accessing the right treatment, then it's uh, it's kind of an empty concept. Yeah, exactly. And and we we see that. And I think um, clinics are politically attractive. Uh, people, politicians like to cut ribbons. Um, and I think in many cases, you know, again for for the very basic things, um, you know, basic clinics have done the job, but. Uh, uh, we just don't think this is a sustainable strategy going forward. Mm. So what would you say was the most unexpected finding from your study? Well, there were, there were many. It was a, a big a piece of work, and now I'm referring both to this paper in The Lancet, but also the accompanying commission report, which was you know the work of two years and 30 commissioners and a wonderful secretariat and many, many national commissions. It's been a, an incredible learning experience. Um, but I would say if I had to I had to think about one, you know, I came to this work um, as a health system researcher. I'm a physician originally and, and have done research on health systems in, in low-income countries for my career. But through this commission, I learned also a lot about this other area, which is really quality improvement research, um, which really is its own field, interestingly. And there are a number of well-known, of course, QI or quality improvement approaches, checklists, supervision, training, um, you know, apps and, and so on. And when I sort of started exploring this area, um, I expected that we would have really good evidence for those because they're so prevalent. So it was surprising to me to see that the quality of the science on, on quality improvement is actually quite weak. Um, the studies are very small. There are very few controlled studies. And even the good studies are actually quite brief. So, for example, our colleagues on the commission found that an average you know, length of a quality improvement study is four months. So how do you know whether any effect you might note would last? It's, in fact, studies that do go on longer find, a, you know, a decrement in effect. 
And I think the um, systematic reviews that look overall at many of these um, sort of strategies find that they don't work super well despite having a pretty good reputation. And furthermore, they're difficult to scale to the whole system. So I guess what it turns out uh, or what we've come up with uh, in the commission is that health systems are actually pretty resistant to quick fixes. Um, although I think we humans are really enamored of um, shiny things and, and things that can work in six months or a year, health systems are actually pretty complicated and, and have a deep resistance to change. And so I think this really shifted our attention in the commission to to thinking about what structural changes will be needed that um, will definitely take longer. But I came out of the commission pretty convinced that it's really major structural changes that will will be required if we're, we're going to, to make a difference in, in the kinds of numbers on mortality, morbidity, and trust that we've mm. been talking about. Well, so looking to the future then, how important is quality to, to the eventual goal of, of universal health care? Yeah, so we think it's it's crucially important. You know, in the commission, we, we make the, 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 the statement that expanding access to services without guaranteeing basic quality is essentially a waste of resources and effort. Uh, you know, people do value healthcare. It's one of always, you know, top national priorities in polls and surveys. Uh, but people are also pretty savvy, and they soon figure out if a service, you know, if they, got, it's, they have an insurance card, but uh, the service that they're insured for is is really poor. It's just not worth their time, and they won't use those services. Um, we've seen this in countries that have achieved universal health coverage, where you know, insured services are sort of foregone or, or maybe bypassed, and. Uh, and people go go out and pay out of pocket for private care or, or other sources of care, and so that's that's a that's a waste. That's a waste of resources. It's a waste of effort on the government side. It's definitely a waste of health, um, and it's a it's a loss of trust. Um, so we do think that quality is is pretty essential um, if universal health coverage is going to be a means to better health rather than an insurance scheme. And, you know, so to that end, we have been working closely with the World Health Organization in this commission. We're delighted that the uh, Director General, um, you know, has written a comment um, and, and, and supports, I think, our findings. But I do think it's going to take a shift in thinking about universal health coverage if we're, if we're serious about um, actual health and not, uh, not solely uh, thinking of it as an insurance mechanism. No, absolutely. Well, congratulations on uh, on your work and uh, the uh, the Lancet Global Health Commission and the Associated Lancet paper are absolutely vital pieces of work, and uh, we're we're super happy to have them. And uh, yeah, Dr. Margaret Cook, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much, Gavin.